What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dragzine Podcast. I'm your host, Senior Associate Editor Brian Wagner. This week on the show, Todd Martin joins me. Todd, what's going on? Oh, just enjoying the sunshine here in uh, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. Yeah, yeah. You guys have uh, effectively stolen our sunshine here in Ohio, and that's awful because we've got a lot of big races coming up this week, and it's pretty much looking like a great, uh, great weekend for some boating. That's about it. We've had our share of rain here. I mean, we're 10, 12 degrees below normal uh, for this time of year, and we're about 27 inches over uh, our normal rainfall. So we, we feel your pain. Um, luckily, we've only had a handful of, of washouts at Tulsa Raceway Park. Uh, we're still getting a lot of stuff done up there and racing. So we're, we've been pretty lucky trying to work our way through all the monsoons that's been coming through. Yeah, it's – I've been up to, I went on five weeks straight traveling to different events and there was always a threat of weather for pretty much all of them. And I always tell people whenever I go racing, whenever I crew, wherever I'm going to an event, if it's 60% or less, I'm going, that's pretty much, you know, I'm not going to worry about that. But even then I've seen where it's been literally a 0% chance of rain and it's rained. So you just, you just got to kind of go with it and hope for the best. Yeah. I always, I don't ever look at the rain chance. I look at the possibility of sunshine. So if it's 30% chance of rain, I have 70% chance of sun. I try to flip it the other way because, you know, I don't want to focus on the negative. I want to focus on the positive. You know, and if, if I came to you with a bet, 70, 30 bet, you're going to take it, right? Yeah, so, that, that's a great way to look at it. I never looked at that. That's the smart <laughs> thinking. I like that. It's, it's, a great, it's a great selling tactic to get people to go, oh, don't, don't worry. It's 70% chance of sun. We're good. Let's go. Right. So I don't, I don't focus on the negative, you know, and, and when I've, started with the track deal man I used to kill myself looking at the weather constantly you know and there's a lot of things in my life I can control the weather is not one of them so we do the best we can and make the best uh, adjustments for the racers I'm sure like all the other tracks like poor Tyler um, you know I think they finally said he had 28 or something like races that all had rain chances in them and they finally had one rain one race that had no rain chance they broke the broke the uh, the curse so it's tough business it was funny when I was actually one of the events I was at was the PDRA race up at Norwalk when they were having rain and I, you know, people were kind of grumbling on oh, maybe they should, you know, cancel the van. I'm like, listen, y'all never been to Norwalk. You don't know how Bill Vader operates. He like, once he says we're going to have an event, unless it's a complete and total monsoon, he's going to do everything he can burn as much jet fuel as possible in that track dryer to get some kind of racing end of discussion most definitely he is <laughs> it, it, it's funny i tell people when you're sitting in the media center you're watching i'm like you can always tell when the activity like it, it's fun to watch because the second the track staff can get out there it's like this this herd of ants that just come spilling out from underneath the bleachers there and they all grab their equipment and get to work it's you know it's all these people in white pants doing their thing it's, it's amazing to watch <laughs> yeah um Bill's got it figured out up there. You know, we get quite a few more racing days than he does. Of course, you know, further to the closer to the equator you get, you know, more sunshine we should all have. Um, but uh, I know he really works hard. I know a lot of the other tracks out there work tremendously hard to get every event in. Um, it's not lightly for a sanctioning body or uh, even a racetrack to cancel a race because, I mean, if you – you know, if you have a hundred races and that's a 10th of your income for the year, I mean, you just lost, like we talked about earlier, I mean, you lost 10 cents, you know, 10% of your entire income. So you know, it's important to, uh, to try to get every race in, not only for the racetracks, but also for the racers. Cause you know, we all have a limited amount of days that we can race. It's basically, it's an amusement park with horsepower and you have to maximize every day that you're open. Otherwise you're not going to be open for very long. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we're, we're continuously trying to figure out other ways to market, you know, our, our drag strip and stuff and our race, our new dirt car track. Now that we have that open, um, you know, we, we do some mud factor stuff. We do some uh, driving courses with the city police department. We do stuff with the uh, state highway department. Um, anything that we can do on that, you know, basically Monday through Thursday timeframe that is usually dead time for us. It's maintenance time. Uh, but, you know, we try to figure out other ways to bring revenue into the racetrack because, uh, like you said, we're really in the entertainment business. We're just not championship wrestling. We're drag racing. 
and we can get some more of the track ownership stuff later. I've got some cool questions with that. But, the, you know, there's one thing that I always like to do is kind of hear about a racer's journey, about where they got to how they got there, even no matter how big of a, a, a you know name they are in the sport. It, it's always fun to hear how they got to where they are. Maybe they can reveal some details you may not have heard of. But, you know, how did you end up behind the wheel of a pro mob? Because that's not something that, uh, again, a lot of people automatically uh, jump into or have as a goal. Yeah, my journey is a, is a really cool one. There's a, a neighbor that moved in when I was eight years old named David Morris, and uh, him and his wife and his best friend, Steve Hand, were hot rodders. And uh, they were young and had no kids. And uh, my dad was gone quite a bit trying to provide for our family as a truck driver, union truck driver. And I just got to know David. He was 21 or 22, and I was nine. And uh, they started building this uh, Firebird and uh, they started going to Ardmore to race. And then they said, hey, you want to go racing? And so I was, went to my first race at Ardmore, which is the oldest consecutive drag strip in America, uh, the Carroll Zone. And uh, started going down there with David. And as the years went by, he opened up an auto mechanic shop in Mustang, Oklahoma, where I'm from. And I worked for him after school and on the weekends. And then uh, I wanted to go racing when I was 16. So I, <laughs> I borrowed money from my girlfriend. It was her tuition. It was due in uh, January. And I borrowed her tuition from her in uh, October to buy a 66 Nova, which I still have today, um, from a guy from Mustang um, that owned the auto parts store. And I borrowed $8,000 from her. And I had to get it back to her, like I said, buy – uh, January so she could pay her tuition to go to college her freshman year of course and uh, I street raced and played poker until I got her paid back uh, and I like I was even like a week early or something like that it was incredible so then David and Steve started helping me learn how to do the uh, super stock goop super gas kind of deal in that Nova and then uh, I had to I joined the military and uh, I had to go to college still wanted to race. So during that time period, I would just go to the races and I never really could afford to race because I was gone so much and going to school, being a broke student, working and everything. And then um, I decided, well, I can't build a, a, a fast race car, so I'm going to build a motorcycle. So uh, we had a local guy around here that's, you know, Oklahoma has great history, not just for cars, but for motorcycles. Now, Sam Wills is here and he's built top fuel motorcycles for years. And, and there's a local guy, um, Phil Matthews, that was kind of the guru of uh, funny bikes back in the day. Uh, and I asked him to build me a super comp bike. So I built an 890 super comp bike, raced that one year, won every race, but one race that I went to. And then I decided I was going to buy a funny bike. This is really easy. We're going we're gonna to try this out. By that time, I picked up a, a good friend that was a sponsor, and then later in life ended up being my father-in-law, with Sherry's dad, Bill Bright. He owned a couple of companies, and he's like, hey, I've owned horses, I've owned sprint cars, I've owned all kinds of stuff. Let's try this drag racing deal. And uh, so he helps me buy my first funny bike, and that had to be like a 1997 time frame. Um, first year out, we won – pro rookie team of the year and I finished second in the world. And I raced those for four or five years, fell off a couple times. Um, thought it might be now business is getting better and everything. So I think, well, I'm going to try to go pro mod racing. So I buy a, a 66 Corvette brand new car from a local guy here that helps Kurt Pipke out. He's been around for a long time with John Woods. And uh, he used to have a, a company like elite before elite was around. He would buy, stuff when people would retire or when people wanted to get out of the business for whatever reason that will, that may be. I bought a car from him and David and Steve helped me build a, a blown big block for it. I raced that for three or four years. And then I'm like, okay, it's time to do the real deal. I want, I want to go pro mod racing, real pro mod racing. But Steve Bruce build me a 60, or I'm sorry, 53, Studebaker, which is a, a body right off of what was Scotty Cannon's car. I still have that car till today. It's sitting out here in the shop right now. 
And I raced that for several years and then um, wanted to go faster. And that's when the ADRL was getting big and going crazy. So I had uh, Garrett build me an outlaw car. And then uh, a couple years after that, Brandon Pez came over and lived with me for like five years. And really taught me the business about pro mod racing and, and Hemis and, and all that. And, you know, and, and then here we are today and, you know, 2021, I'm still racing pro mod and I don't think I'm going to go anywhere for a while. My, the joke in my life was like, when are you going to quit? And I said, well, when I'm dead or broke, whichever comes first. So that's, that's how we, that's how the short story of the whole world of me getting the drag racing happened. That's a pretty wild story. And I really like that, that mantra of I'm going to quit when I'm dead or broke, because I think that pretty much sums up a lot of us at this, where it's like, I, I, I can never see myself being a car show kind of guy. I've got to have something to race. And it's, I always, I always like to talk to the old timers. I see at the track that have been racing longer than I've been alive because there's usually a lot, like they may not have the fastest car now, but I guarantee you 25 years ago, they were the man to be. It's, it's fun to have that mindset and, you know, kind of keep going at it. Yeah. It's like, I'm so blessed. I mean, so I get to talk to Kreitz and I get to talk to Benny Osborne. I get to talk to all these heroes of the sixties and seventies, you know, that are still alive in Tulsa. And I know those guys were the bomb back in the day. I mean, Benny Osborne is one of the best racers ever out there. He's beat Don Garlitz. He's beat the snake. He's built, he's beat, you know, mongoose. He's lived everything that I ever dreamed of reading. And today he just comes out and enjoys, you know, the racing, but um, you know, and, and, we're way faster than he ever was. And he knows that, but for his time period, it is so cool to see those guys still come out. And I'm sure when I'm 70 or 75 years old, there's going to be some younger guy that I want to go out. And I'm going to see, and I'm going to like give them encouragement, just like all those guys have me over the years. And I, they'll probably be running one second passes then, you know, and, and my, my three and a half second passes aren't going to matter at all. So, but uh, I, I it, it's pretty cool to see, uh, those guys, like you said, still coming out, plugging away, and they were at the top of the game one day. And today, you know, they're just enjoying the history of the sport. Or you know, when I was up at Norwalk, I saw Chris Caramacina, you know, and, and Krista's pit, and he's still barking out orders, telling people, you know, helping actively get that car ready. He's just not behind the wheel anymore. And you wouldn't think that that guy's ninety plus years old, and he's done stuff in cars that are so sketchy that most of us would wilt and die. And, you know, to him, that was the best they had back then. Yeah. Does anybody know how old Carlos Massini really is? I don't think anybody really knows. No, no. I, he's immortal. <laughs> I really think he's immortal. That's just the bottom, yeah. you know, it, it's, I, someone said he's in his nineties and I'm like, you want to believe it, but it's like, at the same time, I'm like, good God, that guy does not act like a 90 year old man. Well, it's like everybody said he's been in the seventies for 20 years. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's a great way to describe it. You know, it's maybe someday we'll ever find out how old he is. I don't know, but it, you know, it's like a Willard Kinzer, you know, that guy raced, you know, he'll climb motorcycles well into his fifties when most guys would walk away and he said, oh, I'm going to race door cars now, you know, then he gets in a pro mod racing. It's really, you know, you, you only act as old as you feel, right? That's right. That's right. And I always joke about being a 16 year old with a checkbook and I hope it never changes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's yeah. I, people always joke, you know, adult money. I'm like, I hope to God I never get lottery money because I'm going to go out and have the, I'm, I'm going to have a hanger full of race cars and things, you know, you walk up, you're like, I don't know what that is, but I want it, you know, that, that kind of deal. And you've raced a lot of different stuff, you know, with the, the crazy bikes, which is a whole different level of insanity in my book to, you know, I had Ty Tharp on here. We talked about Nitro, Nitro Harley racing. No, thanks. I like to watch, wouldn't partake. You know, what makes the pro mod class something that's fun for you that you want to stay and compete in? It's just um, probably because it's like the funny bike. It's probably, it's next to a Nitro funny car. Uh, I think it's probably on the edge more than any other class. Um, I have my a fuel license. Um, I, that, that's fun to drive, but it's, it's not difficult to drive by any means. You know, I had a alcohol funny car for a while. That was pretty fun to drive, but it's still not like the pro mod. So I really have to say like, you know, top fuel funny car and pro mod or, or just out there on the edge. And that's where I like to be. Um, I like the, 
I really like the guys in the class because the guys in the class, um, I, I feel that we're all the same guys pretty much. You know, we've been pretty successful business guys and we're able to go and do the things that we like. and We get to enjoy life on multiple levels. And uh, this just happens to be a time and a thing that all of us guys come together. And, uh, and I, I, I can say that uh, we, we, we like to think we're professionals, but none of us are making a living doing it. That's for sure. So I think that takes a little bit of the pressure off of us, but it doesn't take away any of the desire to win there is large in this class than it is any other class. I throw pro mods into the category of barely controlled chaos. That's the best way to describe what it is because as a pro mod driver, you got a goal. I'm like, I want to go fast in a straight line. And it's almost like you got to have that talk with the car, like Harry T. Hogg had to talk with the car during Days of Thunder where you're going to behave yourself. And the car <laughs> does not want to do that. The car's going to do what it wants to do. You just have to react, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, it's a, it's a well-oiled machine. And the other time it's a bronking bull and you don't know what's going to go on, you know, with the nuclear bomb sitting right in front of you. And I think that's maybe that what drives me to it. Um, you know, it's the competition is really good. The, the technology is really good. Um, you know, I don't think I could build a really nice card and have it go out there and take off hard and then stop for three or four seconds and then take off again. You know, I'm just not, I'm just not that type of racer. <laughs> you know, it's uh, pro mods are a lot like tequila and firecrackers. They're dangerous and fun. You know, as long as you're paying attention, they're good to go. But the second you have a little bit too much of something, it's uh, it's when things go sideways, right? Yeah, I mean, it's not for everybody. I mean, we've seen several other funny car drivers that get in pro mods, and uh, you know, it, it, you got to manhandle a, a funny car where a pro mod is still, you know, pretty much ten and two finesse, just like you were taught in driver's ed. Uh, you'll, you know, you'll put the thing upside down. Um, I. I <laughs> I just know there's like when I get in the car, it's just to me, it's, it's soothing. I get in there and it's like, I don't like, you hear the car. I'm like, no, not unless it's on fire or, you know, the rods are hanging out of it. I don't hear the unusual noises that, you know, I hear the noises that aren't supposed to be there. I don't hear everything else like in the burnout and everything. It's just, it's come so surreal to me. And it's like, you know, uh, for that period of time that you make the pass in the, in the car, I mean, you become part of the car. I mean, the car cannot operate without you and you cannot operate without that car. You become the intelligent life form of that, that vehicle. And uh, I think that's probably, you know, I really get drawn into it. I mean, you, you know, I, most drag girls have ADD anyway. We all know that. Right. So, I mean, the, that's the focused amount of time that we have uh, to, to, to be our best. And uh, it's, it's amazing that, what these guys can do, these guys and girls that can do nowadays, all the way from top fuel, all the way down to junior dragsters. A few years ago, Craig Sullivan let me sit and start up his screw blown pro mod. And that was an experience on a whole new level, just because I guess I'd sat in race cars before, but I've never sat in a screw blown pro mod where literally you see engine, that's it. And I've never been in a car when you fire it up like that and it's trying to shake your soul out. <laughs> and that right there, I think, is what draws racers and spectators to the class is because it is the most visceral class outside of a nitro deal, hands down. So I, I did the same thing. So I know you put some a uh, couple of good photos in your magazine and stuff. And that's uh, uh, Wilson. He's been over to Tulsa a couple of times. And I put him in the car and let him start it. Or we started one time with him in the car and he came out and he's like, holy cows. And I've done the same thing with Red. He's been by the track, you know, and let him be in the car. And until you get in there and you realize that there's really only about a 12-inch wide by 12-inch square that you're driving, you know, 200-plus mile an hour looking at, and it's going into the into the sky and back down to the track, depending on if it's raising the wheels and running on the wheelie bars or not. It's not like getting in your pickup truck or your Jeep and be able to see a country mile. I mean, we really have a 12-by-12 area that we're looking through to drive the race car. Not to mention, if you're in the left lane, you're like looking between linkages to try to see the tree. That's, <laughs> yep. that's, that's another thing. I'm like, all right, so how do you see the tree when you're in the left lane? He goes, oh, I look between here and here on the linkages. I'm like, all right, that, that adds yet another 
factor to the insanity. And it did deter me. I'm like, all right, so how much drugs am I going to have to sell to buy one of these? Cause I kind of want to, <laughs> I kind of want to make a pass in this now. Do you know, like the, the hat has, you know, most of them have three hat hole hats in it. And I've, depending on where the groove goes, the guys have to line me up. We want to be in the groove, right? But I've had to like stretch my neck and look around and look in between one of the low points in between the ejector hat to see, see the top bulb to even know when to leave sometimes. So yeah, it, it, it gets, uh, there's some things that come into play driving one of these things. It's not normal. That's for sure. Yeah. I'll never complain about driving my turbo car at that point. Like, <laughs> oh, you can't see anything. I'm like, this is the greatest thing ever. I can see all the things. Yeah, I tell Haney, if he ever got inside of a blower car, he'd run out screaming because they're totally different from the nitrous cars. They just make so much more noise and they're they're just there's more uh sensational overload, I believe, in a blower car than a nitrous car. You know, turbo cars, you know, and I'm a turbo guy. People don't realize this, but I was racing turbos, you know, in the nineties, uh late nineties on my funny bike. Um I went out one Sunday and took the Garrett Turbo off of my 7.3 liter diesel pickup truck and put it on my motorcycle because my Ray J had burned up and I had to have a friend take me to the races. And, uh, it was, it, it worked. I mean, it was a crazy deal, but I like turbos. I mean, I think they're a really cool class. Um, I, I where they are today is way far beyond where I was at, of course, but, uh, I, I love the parody of the turbos of now the pro chargers the nitrous cars and, and the, you know, the screw blown cars and the reach cars out there. I just liked it. And then not every, every car looks the same. You know, I, uh, I still am kind of old school. I think I know that we have corporate America out there, but I don't come in Monday and have to answer to anybody after a race. So I still believe the car is the, the theme, you know, because it was always, you know, the snake, the mongoose, the snowman, you know, uh, whatever, you know, red Baron, whoever out there. So, that's why when I put my team together, Lethal Threat, and I was going to be a pro mod guy, I had to have a uh, a figure uh, that does the top hat guy that goes on there. And uh, I would love to see, you know, Sully does a great job of doing a theme on his car. And um, there's a couple other ones out there, of course. When we started racing with Carpenter and um, Scotty Cannon and, and Bill Coleman, when I was a kid watching all those guys, it was all about the car, you know, the, the, the tomato and so on and so forth. And, you know, I know we have to have corporate sponsors and people to pay the bills, but I just really wish pro mod would lean a little bit more to that direction and go back to that nostalgia part of where it's about the car. And, you know, again, it, th there's certain people that want to rail against the guys on street outlaws, but you know what, they have found a way to channel that with their personas and the cars. And I've been to these events and it's like old school, like the, the people are cheering for, you know, the fireball Camaro or the death trap, you know, it's, you know, the crow or whatever it may be. Right. Yeah. yeah love them or hate them. Guess what? I watch those guys at national trail raceway pack 12,000 plus people butts in seats, screaming the yelling and bought tickets and bought stuff, you know, yeah. it, the, 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 I'm not a very smart man, but I think I see a pattern there. Just saying. <laughs> totally agree with you there. Speaking of being a smart man, I got I to gotta hit up our uh, first sponsor this episode, Mosier Engineering. Mosier Engineering has been racing across five decades through three generations of family. They've also been supporting sportsman ranks since the beginning with their lightning fast two-day turnaround of different products. Everything they make from axles, rear end suspensions, brakes are made in the USA with one goal in mind. So you can win. To learn more, check us out on MosierEngineering.com, which as always, I love to plug them and some of the sponsors that I have experience with because they are kid tested, mother approved. We have yet to break a Mosier product on any of my project cars. So uh, definitely a, a shout out to them there. And by God, we've tried. And what's great about that, the very first set of aftermarket axles, when I put that 66 Nova together that we was talking about, I put in that car, was a set of Mosiers, and they're still in it today. I mean, that's a great, great company. They've been around for years helping out racers. I, it's funny. All of my project cars have slews of products from different manufacturers. And to me, th this is a cut on myself because I think if you give products to those that are, we'll say challenged, 
they're going to beat on your stuff and prove how strong it is. You know, you got, you got to look at the positive side of it. And that's how I look at it is they make great products because we haven't broken any of them yet. Uh, and then you can get, you can call Darren Mayer someday and ask him about me. Um, he, he thinks that every part he's ever made, I've broke. So he said, I'm one of his best, his best test facilities out there. And uh, he just, he just thinks it's the funniest thing. Um, he's like, man, I've got all these other people running my parts, but you're the only guy that breaks these parts. And I'm like, I'm probably the only guy that races much as all these other guys do, you know, cause I put a lot of laps on stuff. I mean, we went out testing this last Saturday, trying to get ready for going the Midwest drag racing, Midwest drag racing series, going up to uh, the first time to great Bend, Kansas. So uh, wanted to try a couple of things. Cause that's a, our first track that we'll be running at that has any type of altitude to it. And then it's going to be in August. And it's going to be hot as hell up in, up in Kansas. So but yeah, I mean, we like to we like to test people's parts, no doubt about it. But you know, Mosier makes a great part. Like I said, they've been around for years. Um, I've like I probably bought three or four sets of axles from them myself for project cars. It's a great, great company. It, it, it's funny. I think that again, companies love racers, especially guys at Drag Week, because they will do stuff with their products they didn't know were possible, and then they will break stuff they didn't think was possible to break, and the engineers will be like how <laughs> they'll learn to be able to improve the product. Cause you just smile and you bring, you know, bring a blower back to there and said, I killed it. H how did right. you do that? I don't know. Figure it out, make it better. And then you walk away. You know, it is so funny because um, you, a lot of people don't know this, but I have a Ferrari challenge license and a Mercedes Benz AMG license for the GT coupe racing uh, for SCCA. And, you know, I've done a couple of those Mercedes deals and, you know, you show up, you get in their car and you go to your test laps, get out. And when you come, you stop. It's like these 12 guys run out here with all these calipers and these computers. And they're downloading, they're checking the tire, where they're checking the brake, where they're checking all this stuff. And I'm like, well, what's this all about? So all this data goes back to Germany, to Mercedes Benz, because we know what you just did to this car. And now we want to know what the wear is on everything. And they just keep such great records. Us drag racing guys, I mean... We like to think that we have technology, but we, we're way before, far behind in our sport to keep up with some of the other sanctioning racings out there. <laughs> it, it, I've learned one of the things I've learned this year from a lot of people and racers is the, uh, the phrase service life. Parts have a specific service life. And yep. if it is 25 runs, you stop at 25 runs. Could it go 26? Maybe. Or maybe not. You don't want to find out. So that's that's one of the things I've learned. Some of the crew chiefs, the guys are talking. They should talk about service life. It's like, all right. So you guys have learned this from breaking stuff, right? They go, oh, oh yeah, we, we've learned the hard way. Yeah, it's like we, we we do about twenty five passes on a set of rods, you know, and we look at burnouts versus a full pass, and you know, if you have to board a burnout or something. So maybe we might go thirty, but never past thirty. You know, the whole deal is like, is it a, a set of $1,150 set of rods or is it, you know, seven grand to fix the window or $11,000 to replace the block? So, I mean, that, that $1,150 looks real cheap compared to seven or $11,000. So, yeah, you're right. Everything has a service life. I mean, spark plugs have a service life. Blower belts have a service life. Our helmets have a service life or fire suits. I mean, everything out there. And that is just if you want to be competitive and you want to win you do not show up to the racetrack with the car just like it was when you put it in the box the last race. I mean, that's the only way I've, I've been able to be successful in any racing is to stay on top of those uh, critical points of, of my motor or my chassis or my safety equipment. When you pull it out of the box, it should be ready to have gas splashed in it and charge battery and go racing. If you want to be successful, if you want to wrench on stuff at the track, go for it, but it's going to put you behind it. That's putting you behind in ways that you don't know until more bad stuff happens. Yeah. And you're going to end up wrenching opinion. on it. Yeah. You're going to end up wrenching on it anyway. So you might as well do it the easy way instead of the hard way. <laughs> Changing gears are a little bit, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. One of the owners of Tulsa Motorsports or Raceway Park, you know, again, it's one of those things. Why did you decide to become a racetrack owner? Because that seems like it's almost like at times when I talk to people like owning a boat, you just keep throwing money at it. Like you, you don't ever get anything back out of it. You know what, what's that been like? Oh my gosh. Um, so it was a joke, but somewhat serious. I told my wife one time, I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to own a racetrack when I get older and it'll be something I can do when I retire and give me something to hang out with the guys still and stay, stay focused on racing. Right. Cause I, I mean, I really have a passion for the sport. 
And uh, Dan Gutterman was the owner at Tulsa Raceway Park. And he's the one that built the nice tower and redone the walls and put the new surface in. And Dan uh, was a big enthusiast. Before that, he owned a, a place in Oklahoma called Hallett, which is a road racing course. But Dan is a big a motorsports enthusiast, but he is a, a great mogul when it comes to um, property. He owns a lot of property in Oklahoma, Tulsa, uh, and West Palm Beach. So he bought the racetrack to fulfill two desires. One was it's a great investment of property. And number two, uh, he wanted to continue racing. And one day he thought maybe he'd build a road racing track at the drag strip, kind of just like they do uh, in Gainesville or uh, West Palm Beach or some of the other places that have that. And Dan and I uh, didn't know each other. We just decided that, I mean, I raced up there and we went to the PRI show and I was wanting to do some pro mod races up there and started putting some, packages together and showing him that we could do our own type of pro mod race in Tulsa. And that's how the throw down at T-Town got started. And Dan had a brother and uh, he wasn't much into racing. So uh, Dan asked me, he said, Hey, you want to buy my brother out of the racetrack? I mean, it's 219 acres of great commercial property here in Tulsa. And um, you know, you love racing. So why don't you uh, be my partner? So, uh, I had to fly down and meet Dan's dad in West Palm Beach and explain to him why I would be a, a good fit in their family business because they all, the family owns pieces of it. Everybody in the family owned it. You know, I said, well, I've got a different perspective on it than your son does. I said, Dan is a great businessman, but I'm a racer and I'm a spectator of the sport and I have history and love for the sport. I said, so I see a whole different side of the business than Dan sees. Dan sees the dollars and what the property value is and so on and so forth. He doesn't understand necessarily what a racer would want to see versus what a fan would want to see. And uh, they approved it. So I bought into my portion of the racetrack. Dan and I had it for a while and uh, uh, sold it. We sold it out to APAC, which is like a humongous uh, company. They're based out of England. Old Castle owns them. And, uh, they wanted to buy it for 30 year advancement. And Dan is like, look, you made money drag racing. You made money as a, as a track owner. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm not done. He's like, no, no, no. You need to be done. You need to take your money and you and Sherry need to go do something else and have a good time. You can race other places. I'm like, Dan, I'm, I'm not done. I said, this track is three years from having its 50th birthday. I said, I'm going to go back to APAC and I'm going to ask them if I can lease this deal from them. So I make a run at APAC and uh, they agree to it. And my whole intention was just to, for Tulsa to make its 50th birthday. And uh, now that's been 11 years since all that's went on with Dan and we made our 50th birthday. We'll be 56 years this year. And uh, that's kind of how I got in the racetrack business. It was just kind of a, a whim that, okay, I'm going to buy into this property. My kids will have a great chance to make some money on it someday. Who knew that it was going to be as quick as it was. And uh, we got a great working relationship with the city of Tulsa and with APAC and Tulsa Raceway Park has a bright future. It'll be there until Keith and I are, are tired of, of messing with it or until we get too old to mess with it. So uh, we're, we're continuing on the history of uh, Tulsa Raceway Park right there. Um, the same place it's been now for 56 years. Now, does being a racer influence how you look at stuff as the track I know you mentioned that was kind of your pitch to them has that still carried forward with how you make decisions what you do versus it being business decisions or do, do you try to separate that out no 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 it, you I think it works really well and you know and I when I first got in the track business and I wanted to understand how a track was um Steve Yearwood was the number one guy on my list and number two of course was the Bader family and now that uh Keith and I have been able to be mentioned in the same breath as those guys and, and Royce Miller at Maryland. You know, those are the three top track operators I think that have ever been around um, just for insight and understanding the sport and so forth. So I, I try to watch what they do. And I still to today, I don't go, if I go to a new drag strip, I'm seeing how much they're selling their Cokes for and how they're getting people in and, and the things that they do differently. And um it's no different like when we had the pandemic and we were the first track in the country to have fans and we were the first track to 
announced nationally, we're going to go paperless time slips. You know, uh, I, I, I look at the innovative things that those guys have done and, and Keith and I keep pushing it and pushing it to try to be innovators of the sport with a good value, um, to the customer. So I still look at every racetrack I go to. It doesn't matter if I've been there 10 times. I mean, there, there's some great racetracks out there. Um, XRP is one of the up and coming tracks down in Texas, of course. Um, you know, St. Louis is a great example. We love, we love what they do over there too. Um, you know, and then we've lost some great tracks like Memphis. I hate to see Memphis go away, um, over the years. It just wasn't what it used to be. And, uh, you know, when I hate to hear that, you know, uh, Houston is going to go away. That's been a fabulous facility. And, you know, Seth has been one of my, my biggest advocates, him and I are a lot alike when we have our divisional meeting, we go in there and we pound on pound on them pretty hard and <laughs> let our opinions be heard. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, you know, with the, the news coming out that Houston is going to go away, that opens the door. Cause there had already been some chatter about you guys potentially getting a race and trying to get a race. So I'm assuming now that that, uh, that door is opened a whole lot wider now, right? It is. And, um, you know, we, we want to, we think that we can handle a national event. Um, we used to have national events in Tulsa, IHRA national events, AHRA national events, had NHRA and national events. They've all happened there uh, over the years at TRP. Um, you know, they've come out, I'm not going to hold any secrets. I mean, NHRA has been out, they've measured the track. We're the fourth longest track in all of the NHRA tracks. And we're only shorter to Houston by like three feet. Um, you know, uh, we have, like I said, 219 acres. We do need to make some improvements. We need to add some grandstands. We need to uh, repave some of our pits and add some more area for pit parking. But, you know, all this stuff is doable if we can uh, make sure that the, the community is going to be behind us, which I think we have one of the best fan bases there are in all of motorsports. Uh, our fans come out to our races, even our bracket races and stuff, um, we have fans that show up to them at our divisional races. You know, I can remember rice came out the first year that, um, Trey caps and he's like, what race is this? I said, well, this is a divisional race. And we had like 4,500 people in the stands watching the divisional race. I'm like, how does that ever happen? You know? So we have a great set of fans. And if we can get the city and our fans behind us, I think you'll see a national event here in Tulsa. I think we'll be selling it out. And, in my book, you guys should get one just automatically because you have a dirt track on the premises as well, which literally you can combine both of my loves at the same place, same time. Like I just found out at Vegas right before the Super Street Car Nationals, they had that giant uh, modified race right before then. I'm like, well, hell, I'm going to have to book a double vacation out here, come out, watch <laughs> modifieds for a week and then watch pro mods for a week. I'm like, what could possibly go wrong? So that's having the dirt track there. That's uh, got to be helping you guys kind of uh, take things to the next level too, right? Yeah, which, I mean, it's only been open for five weeks now. Um, that was one of Dan's visions. You know, it's a Tulsa Raceway Park. You know, it's not just a drag strip. And I looked at doing a motocross track. I've looked at, you know, Dan wanted to do a road race track back in the years. And Keith and I actually did a monster, uh, a fast track, 330-foot um, sand drag strip over there for years we had a couple a big mud bog races over there we had some monster truck races over there but they were far and few between we're like we need to utilize this place a little bit better um and then we hadn't had a dirt track in tulsa in 17 20 years something like that downtown where it used to be at the fairgrounds and we already had pretty much everything there we already had the land we already zoned properly we already had the the blocks we already had the fence we just rearranged stuff from when it was a a, a drag race and mud bog track and reformed it into this dirt track and we've been open five weeks now and it's it's we're, we're learning stuff about it we got a good guy over there uh tim tim cunningham he was over in paducah and then he was at memphis before that or after that and uh he's got his hands full i'm on him pretty hard uh because we want to succeed we want to be a good dirt track along with a good drag strip and, uh, you know, we want to keep helping the fans uh, in dirt track racing and drag racing. I, I don't see it as a competition. I see it as, as a motorsports because uh, I like all motorsports. I'm, I'm a huge Formula One fan. I don't know. A lot of people don't realize that. But, yeah, I, I, I love Formula One. Um, I love the dirt cars. I love the drag cars. I mean, as long as they're racing it, I'm, I'm pretty much happy with anybody racing. 
Oh, that's, you know, that's why I, I love with what Flow Sports has. You know, this week so far, I think I've watched motocross, off-road trucks, dirt track, and drag racing all in one place. And that's all it is all the time. And you can turn it on and see some of those old school dirt track races. And it's funny because I was watching one night when they had Thursday Night Thunder when it was still up at a, up at a, the, the paved oval up at Indy. And lo and behold, there's a Doug Coletta and Tony Schumacher battling it or uh, Doug Coletta and uh, Tony Stewart battling it out. And depending on how the cards fall, you never know. You might see Doug Coletta and Tony battle it out again, but this time on a drag strip. Yep. Yeah. It's great to see those guys getting over in that stuff. You know, Coletta came from there and now Selzy's boys been doing it for quite a few years and seeing the crossover between drag racing and, and the dirt and the dirt cars. I think it's a great deal. I mean, when we have the Chili Bowl in Tulsa, we see all types of celebrities from all different types of motorsports coming up there for that. So, um, yeah, the crossover, uh, we can all argue our, our class and our sport is the best, but what it comes down to is we're all racers and we're all having a good time and we're enjoying our passions. So, that, And that's what's important. And, you know, before we kind of shift to the last gear here, I have to uh, hit up, of course, our other episode sponsor, Fast Superchargers and Cam Power Packages. The new Fast Supercharger and Cam Power Package for Chevy LS and Chrysler Gen 3 Hemi are perfectly matched for systems that combine especially designed comp cams, low shock technology camshaft with the proven performance of the Elderbrock TVS Supercharger. Fast engineers worked closely with comp and Elderbrock to eliminate the guesswork out of choosing the right cam for boosted application. Visit fuelairspark.com for more information, which... Again, that hits on an interesting subject that we could go on another thing for, uh, I'm not going to say rant tirade about, is the availability of a new horsepower that you could go down to a Dodge dealership, pick up a new Gen 3 Hemi car, pick up one of those power packages, go to the track and have a blast in ways that we never, you know, back in the day, you could never do. No, I've got myself into one right now, so. One of my good friends that uh, I play golf and poker with every week, um, uh, he's having me put a new um, supercharger on his Toyota. So he has one of those, one of our other buddies got bought one of the new T-Rexes, you know, the, what are the 800, 900 horsepower pickup trucks? And he's yeah. like, there's no way Kelly is going to get to have all this horsepower and I'm going to have my little old Toyota over here so we we got online and ordered him one of these Magnuson superchargers and it's going to bump his truck up like 700 and something horsepower. So yeah, it's insane now that you can just like pick up the phone, call somebody and you know, a month or month and a half later, you're going to have everything you need to bolt on 500 horsepower. Easily. And that, that's what's, you know, whether you do it yourself, you have a shop, do it. It's just, I think it's awesome that, you know, in the way you can go out and go, well, I have X goal. And as long as it's nothing, you're not trying to do anything exotic or reinvent the wheel. Chances are somebody's probably done it in some form or another out there. You just got to follow their formula, put it together, you know, which is, it sounds easy, but it's a little bit harder than that. But in theory, you can make that happen or go to a, you know, go to a dealership and buy a brand new boosted Camaro Corvette, Mustang, whatever you want, and just go right. have fun. It's great to see the manufacturers back into this. I don't know how long it's going to stay with all this electric push, but uh, I, I'm 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 I think it's awesome that every you know the big three all have some hot rod pickup trucks and hot rod cars now again. I think the electric push is going to make things interesting because at that point you can turn anything into a performance vehicle because there's no emissions behind it and i've raced hobby grade electric rc cars for a while so i know how ignorant you can make one of those things go in a hurley so i'm just drooling at the idea so wait a second i could get instantaneous torque and horsepower in a full-size car okay but again it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out i'm kind of i'd like to after seeing the Cobra, the E-Cobra Jet E-Copo go, I think there's a lot of potential there, but it's going to take a while for those of us that like noise and smells to really like gravitate towards it. Yeah, that was the deal about the funny bike always is that it didn't make it sound like a vacuum sweeper going down the track. It didn't make a lot of noise. You could hear the, the tire chirping. You could hear the gear changes and stuff. 
you know, there's something about fire and loud noises that just goes with drag racing. So I'm not opposed to electric cars. I love the hybrids. I mean, Ferrari just came out with a new 298 GTB, which is twin turbo, six cylinder, half hybrid car, I think is going to be a, an amazing vehicle. Um, but I, I just, uh, I, my heart is still, with, like I said, with the flames and the noise. <laughs> Speaking of flames and noise, you know, the, the Midwest drag racing series is it, it's continuing to grow and i i lump a lot of those series that we see out there i will say the non-nhra series midwest uh northeast pro mod pdra uh you know the nmca they're these region like regional national series it's sort of like back in the old days of professional wrestling when you had like certain regions had their big deals i think it's extremely important for organizations like these to keep growing and prospering because you're able to bring the big level feel to some of these smaller tracks. Yeah. I have to tell, say, you know, Keith has done a phenomenal job of the Midwest drag racing series. I own, I don't own, I'm just an advisor with Keith, you know, trying to help him go in the right direction uh, rules wise and, you know, safety wise and, and just what, just the way we do our business, the racetrack and for him to be able to get somebody like Mav TV to start coming out and, and looking at drag racing, like he has and do a television show and do some live feed is, is phenomenal. You know, and we want to see more of that for everybody. We want to see the PDRE get that kind of treatment because they have, you know, uh, room for it. And, and same with the NMRCA guys, you know, they, they got room for that type of racing to have to get television broadcasting and stuff. So, what I would like to see out of all that, my big dream is to find a way that we could get the top three or four cars uh, in each class, uh, nitrous class, blown class, turbo class, however they may be, because I know the PDRA rules and the, the NMRC or NCMRA rules and Midwest Pro Models aren't too far off. I'd love to see a throwdown in between those three organizations at some, some track of the top drivers. Oh, totally. Like that would, I'm always a fan of that. It's almost like, you know, the world cup with Jason Miller does where they bring all those in, you know, why not throw the, the pro mod throwdown in there too, you know, an event like that where you bring in all of those top people or rotate it around to different events. I think there's a lot of uh, tracks if they were smart would put themselves on the waiting list to have an event like that, to have that many top level pro mods in one place. That would be something to watch. I miss, you know, racing with Richia. I miss racing with uh, you know, Todd Tuttero and Jay Cox and those guys because we don't go that that far west anymore. Um, so, I mean, I'd love to figure out a way to get all of us guys back to another racetrack and where we could all battle out again and have a good time. I miss racing with those guys. And then, but, you know, the Midwest Drag Racing Series done a great job dragging a bunch of guys from the East Coast. I'm sorry, the West Coast out here. Um you know, Oaks and um, and those guys have been coming out here racing their their turbo cars with us, and got a couple of blower cars that have come out here and raced a couple of times. So we love to see them drag out here and race the Midwest. So just we need to figure out a way somehow. I talked to the Jim Hughes a couple of times. So maybe we need to figure out a race Midwest guys against California guys out of his track, or maybe we need to figure out a way to get the Midwest guys. You know, with all the PDRA guys and the guys up in the Northeast. Um, to race with those guys, you know, but I would love to see somebody put something together where we could get these three great pro mod organizations together with their top drivers and race. Oh it, yeah. It'd be amazing. Just like I said, it's to me, I like, uh, I was talking with a, a guy at the, a good guy show here in Columbus and we were Joe, well, what would you build if you had the money right now? I was like, I build a pro mod because you can practically swing a cat and hit a big pro mod race somewhere east of the Mississippi at all, like every weekend somewhere, there's a big pro mod race, which yeah. I think is a huge advantage for any program to have that because you don't have to necessarily be a top level NHRA contender to go to one of these races and do well. And then additionally, what I like what the Midwest series has done is bring in alcohol funny cars because they're a great show in amongst itself. And there's a lot of them out there that need a place to race and they want to race more than just NHRA stuff. So putting that kind of package together, I think is what's making these, all of these, you know, regional organizations. Great. 
Yeah. Um, when that happened, you know, Keith and I were talking about it and I was like, look, the biggest kept secret I believe is, is alcohol funny car out there. I mean, I've done, like I said, some a fuel stuff and I had an alcohol funny car with Brad McWilliams and, uh, the problem with alcohol funny cars, it hasn't had any life injected into it in 20 years. It's still the same B combo or D combo, um, screw blown clutch car. Now they're starting to get some automatics in there that they've had forever. And then for them to be able to move up and be treated more like professionals and be, uh, a, a draw to an event instead of just being part of an event is a big deal. And we feel the same thing with top sportsmen and top dragster. I mean, those four classes right there are enough to satisfy anybody. I mean, you got top sportsman cars, top dragsters, and you got, of course, you got the alcohol funny cars and the pro mod. I mean, you can put anything else with that and have one of the best shows ever, ever out there. And, and I think that's what's important that each of these series has in common is that it's, it's a show. You go there and you're going to get to be entertained. You know, you've got the, the bracket cars and stuff like that to kind of, you know, to be the filler and whatnot. But the fact that I could go to a Midwest race and see pro mods and alcohol funny cars, NMC and see pro mods and radio cars, PDRA and see pro mods, pro stockers and top sportsman cars to me as a fan, that's where I want to spend my money. And I think that's important to keep to keep growing that to keep drawing people in. I totally agree. Totally agree. You know, and, and it takes, you know, a couple of these different organizations like this to keep the health of the sport up. Because if there was just the Midwest Drag Racing Series, it would not be good. Or if it was just the PDRA, it wouldn't be good. Or just NCMRA or even the, the, the uh, West Coast stuff. I mean, it, it takes all these. I'm, I'm a true believer that the more racetracks there are, the more racers there are, the more racers and racetracks there are, the more fans they are. And the more that those are, the more manufacturers that there are to support our sport. So I'm, I'm never here to, to – it hurts me when I see a track go away. It doesn't matter if it's a dirt car track or a drag strip or even a road race course um, because I just know that's just one less group of people in that area that are going to race. And I, I think that when organizations are making their rules and they're close together – that it makes it easier for people to cross over. You know, you look at some of the radio stuff with, you know, with what the NMCA has done with their street outlaw class in X275 is that you can race both. You know, if you want to race more times a year, you can, you can cross over. And I think you make it easier on the racers to show up. That That's a big deal. Oh, most definitely. I mean, that's that's something that I think Keith's worked with pretty well with all the other groups is that we're trying to get the race, the, the, the rules closer and closer for each of the classes. So maybe someday we can have this big battle of the, of the you know, these three organizations. But it also makes it like, OK, so I can take 25 pounds on or I can put 25, take 25 pounds off of my car. And now I can go race whatever, you know, two or three other races or five races a year that I want to. So, I mean, I I. I totally agree. I mean, I think that the rules being closer and and everybody kind of massaging them to what fits their demographics the best is great. But we don't, you know, we don't need to go back to the day when you know uh, when Mike Mustang when we were racing uh, what I call illegal when whether we had no rules at all. I was down to like twenty three sixty or something like that. That car was like super super light. And it was super expensive and uh, that took a lot of fun out of it, you know, and now we've got some rules and we're still running the same car and it hasn't hurt anything um, by being a little bit heavier. What it's done is, is made it where more people can race. And that's what we want. We want it where more people can race. And, and I think that on the same side of that too, is, you know, from a track owner's point of view, what do you think about, you know, local tracks putting on, more of the show because I feel that there are some track owners that just they go through the motions whereas there's other track owners that you go through their schedule they're trying to make dog and pony shows they're trying to do stuff to draw people in I think that that needs to happen more what do you think of that well the way that we build our schedule is this and it's tough because you know people have a limit amount of money that they can spend on entertainment and you know, your diehard Friday night, Saturday night dirt car racers, that's what they do. Your dirt, your diehard drag racers, that's what they do. But then you have to think about the other group that 
their kids are still playing sports or they want to go to the movies. They want to go here. They want to go try something new. So you got to, you got to catch them. So the way that we've done it at Tulsa Raceway Park, um, we try to have one large event every month, April, May, June, July, uh, August, September, October. So we try to have one big event per month. And then everything else we fill in with, you know, bracket races or some other type of race that's going to go on. Our Ford Shelby meet, um, streetcar takeover. You know, that's a big event. Um, but it's, you know, so we, we try to figure out a way that we can hook our fan base once a, once a month and not make them feel that they have to be there every weekend or they're going to miss out. You know, there's an old saying that uh, P.T. Barnum said, you know, the circus only comes to town one time a year. And there's a reason for that. You know, you can only draw those people out to do that so many times. So we don't want to overdo it. So we, you know, we, we try to pack our shows once a month and we try to have you know, a throwdown and then a divisional for a different type of racer. And then we'll have a nitro race and then something else, you know, try to move the races up and down um, to, to draw that fan base. But if they're not, if a racetrack's not trying to do that, you're right. They're just going through the motions and they're, they're hurting themselves because there's plenty of other organizations that are looking for a place to race you know one of the things that when Milan was still open and they did that Friday night shootout series and you go up to that on a Friday night you know they would pack fans in there for each of those mm -hmm. monthly events because it was a show radio cars pro mods I mean all kinds of stuff and again I think it comes down to I think a lot of tracks need to get on board I think with putting more of that entertainment value in there and do a quick eight shootout on a bracket Saturday, you know, where you have some guys that might have top sportsman cars or pro mod and come in. You'll help, you know, you'll put some butts in some seats and you never know. You might get some people to go, Hey, I could wait. I could bracket race my street car. There you go. Totally agree. Totally agree. Now I always like to kind of throw some fun questions at my guests <laughs> um, because I have a magical bank account, a time machine, all kinds of cool stuff on the Dragzine podcast, patent pending on all of it, of course. Um, I'm going to put you in the time machine and I'm going to give okay. you some money too. So it's going to be a fun ride for you. If you could race any other class during any time in drag racing history, anytime, what class would you race and who would be your crew chief? So an example, you know, you could go back and have Don Garlitz as your crew chief back in the fifties or something like no, that. No, no, I would, I would want to be in the seventies and eighty time frame, and I'd want Ace McCullough as my, as my crew chief, and I want to race Funny Car. That's a very quick and direct answer. I like that. <laughs> you feel like I've thought about it, right? Because I have. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm, I'm like this. If I could, I mean, I've always loved Ace McCullough's demeanor, and. I've met him a couple times, and out of all the, the, the great guys that I've met and have done this, um, there's just something with him that clicked with me. And then what he did and the way he carried himself and the way he walked in that area era of Funny Car is my favorite. So that, that's when it would be. It would be Funny Car, and, and uh, Ed the Ace would be my crew chief. I, I could – see that being a very solid stout deal. And it's funny. I, I literally ran into his stunt son up at Norwalk in Torrance's pit round in the <laughs> corner. We both kind of ran into each other. Like it's so crazy. Like how his son looks and carries himself. I mean, <laughs> talk about a spitting image. Right. I was almost afraid he was going to start a fight with me. Cause I've heard some stories about his dad would be a little bit feisty <laughs> at times. Yep. He, 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 uh, he didn't back down from him, I guess. <laughs> no, and that, that's what's cool is you hear, like, to me, you know, I grew up, you know, during the, you know, watching, you know, probably we'll say mid to late 80s on, you know, drag racing. And to me, that was, to me, that's my golden era, seeing all those guys back then. It's always fun for me to talk or at, talk to guys or ask guys about what it was like to race then because, you don't under, I guess they didn't understand, or maybe they didn't realize at the time, or now they see it, how important and what it was to be in that point in history. You know, it's like, you know, playing next to a great player in the NFL that you, you know, it's just your day job, but you don't realize what you're actually doing. Right. It's like over the years, Keith and I both became really close to John Collins. You know, he raced the pioneer in the JVC funny car back then. And, you know, he would go racing with us and he would tell us, you know, how they would do it and what we're doing now. It's different and how he was proud of us, which was, you know, kind of odd because here we are looking up to him because he was 
you know, one of our heroes as we kid, when we were a kid with, you know, the English leather and the JVC pioneer cars. And, uh, so I, I totally get what you're saying about that. I mean, is that you look at, um, them and what they did for history so that it paves the road for, for people like myself and all the other racers out there. And if you think about it, at some point, someone might be saying the same thing about you and Keith and pro mod racing that, you know, oh, well, back in the day, you know, those guys used to be part of that big, you know, the, if you think about it, the gold, the new golden era of pro mod racing and the stuff that we're seeing now that, you know, they're, they're going to be in awe of the fact that you got to race with some of these names. Oh, he used, he used to race with, you know, so-and-so or, you know, Frankie Taylor and stuff like that, you know, that, that it's neat to be able to think that you're etching your name in that history. I can tell you, and, and uh, Tony, the Sandman will tell you this for sure. The first time I ever got, I really got to race with him. I'm like, I'm asking to take pictures and stuff with him. Cause I'm like, Hey, I remember when you raced with Scotty Cannon. I remember when I couldn't even, you know, afford spark plugs to go race. And now I'm racing with you. And uh, same thing with Bill Coleman. I, I got the race to race with him one time and uh, Jim Audie. And I was like, that was one of the coolest things because I never, ever thought I'd be at that level. And for somebody someday to, to say that I've achieved that level would be um, pretty amazing to me because I don't look at it like that. I, I'm, I just look at it as like I'm a lucky guy that gets to race and owns a racetrack. <laughs> and, and it's it's the same thing when you know it when you're when you're doing something, you're part of it, you don't realize what you're doing, I guess, until later on down the line or where you're at an event, you know, where a record is set or something happens. And you know, working in the industry, it's like, oh, that was part of my job. And they're like, Oh, well, you were there and there. I'm like, Yeah, you know, I, I was working. And it, it doesn't like it doesn't set in, I guess. Right. Yeah. Just like it's another day at the office. <laughs> yeah, like literally, I'm like, oh, I remember when Riven Barker broke that record. I was, you know, standing at the 60 foot mark on that side of the wall, like, oh, you were there? I'm like, yeah, you know, that's what I'm paid to do, or, you know, the big race, but that was between JR Gray and that he was racing to do with the white vet, you know, that big monster uh, uh, grudge race with all the money on the line. I remember mm -hmm. that because it was such an electric deal. But it's funny to hear other people talk about it. It's like, you know, you all have that that uh, that moment in history that you shared. Right. I totally agree. <laughs> well, Todd, our time here is coming to an end. I like to give my guests their opportunity to uh, kind of channel their inner John Force and thank all their sponsors and where people to find them out and what they got going on. So I'm going to turn the floor over to you so you can thank who you need to thank, tell people where they can learn more about what you got going on. So uh, the floor is yours, my friend. Have at it. You know, um, there are so many people out there that help every racer that uh, it just goes on and on and on. Um, the guys that help me are true friends. I don't ask for a lot. I let some other people that are um, maybe not as fortunate as I am or have more guts than I do to ask. I don't like to ask for things, uh, but I do have some great sponsors out there that help me out. They know who they are. Um, I don't share a lot of that for the fact I don't want somebody else picking them up and picking up the phone and calling and saying, Hey, well, I hear that you helped Todd out or helped you out. I mean, all my deals are kind of private. Um, I have a great group of people. They know who they are and I think them regularly on a private basis. And that's the way I'll continue to do my racing. Like I said, I don't wake up on a Monday morning and have to make a phone call to anybody and tell them I blew up or, or whatever. My wife already knows, <laughs> so, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of people in the sport that I do want to thank. And, and like I said earlier, the new um, group uh, with the with inside the Motorsports Association, the Drag Racers Association that we have um, with Houston, St. Louis, uh, Tulsa, uh, uh, Vandermeer, I believe, is in there. Uh, of course, Bader's in there. Um, Martin, Michigan, uh, Yearwood. All those guys, I think that uh, us putting a, a group together and a coalition together, trying to push drag racing even further um, for all of our spectators and fans and racers is a big deal to me. And I want to give a shout out to those guys of uh, continuing to push in a sport and business that is not made for everybody. Totally agree. Totally. Um, as far as Tulsa Raceway Park, where can people learn more about uh, what you guys got going on there? 
TulsaRacewayPark.com. And of course, on Facebook, uh, we have one of the largest Facebook followers of even the national event uh, tracks out there. We have, we put a lot of stuff out there. Um, so come see us there. And of course, you know, we have, uh, I'm going to plug the, the Throwdown at T-Town with the Midwest Drag Racing Series. We'll be back in October, free tickets. If you've never been to one of these races, I'm telling you, it's one of the best pro mod races in all the country. And I'm not saying that because I race it and because it's at my track. I'm saying it because it's a fact. We've had people come from not just the United States, but overseas to come race with us and realize that, hey, this is what drag racing is about. And uh, we have a great fan base and our fans love our racers. So come race the throw down at T-Town someday. I would love to come to that event, but the problem is Patrick practically lives at your track. And if I tried to take any assignments from him there, he would kill me. Like I, he would murder me. I'm telling you, Pat, if we have a rain out for testing tune two weeks in a row, he is upset. He does not know what to do with himself. And, you know, we get a lot of publicity. Um, we have five or six great photographers at our racetrack all the time. Um, we're constantly asking, you know, people, how do I get photography and so on and so forth? And uh, I, I, I sent them off to Robert Grice and I uh, sent them off to Patrick Red. I sent them off to uh, Judd and Mary and some of these other great guys that we have, Charles, that we have at the racetrack taking photos. Um, that's why Tulsa has the fan base all the way from juniors to top fuel that come there and test like Scotty Palmer is because they get so much coverage when they come to our racetrack. Yeah, it, it, it definitely shows you have a very passionate group of people around there. And I think that that, uh, that really helps quite a bit, but you know, I've got to thank our sponsors, of course, performance distributors, airflow research, pro charger, Holly, MSD, Flowmaster, comp cams, fuel air spark technology, Elderbrock, Manly, JE pistons and dart all Help keep the podcast rolling. Todd, it's been awesome. I appreciate it. I'm going to make it to Tulsa at some point to check out an event and hang out for sure. I appreciate it. I know how I was picked, uh, but it's been an honor to spend this time with you and talk about uh, the favorite thing that we have in the world is, is drag racing and motorsports. So I appreciate your time and uh, keep doing what you're doing with your magazine and everything and keep pushing. Appreciate it, sir. We'll see you soon. See ya.